Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Will self-driving cars take over or not? Eddie Alterman. It's a scary concept. <laughs> Any way you look at it. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, are you ready to put your life in the hands of AI? No way. Are you? <laughs> Not entirely, no. <laughs> but you're less of a skeptic than me, I think. But one of the areas where a lot of people think artificial intelligence will have a huge impact is in the field of automobiles. Yeah, at the recent uh, Detroit Auto Show and other shows, so much of the talk was about self-driving cars. I mean, GM even showed a car with no steering wheel. That field is moving really fast right now, but there's also a lot of hype, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And we had a really good talk last year with Car and Driver magazine editor Eddie Alterman, and I just loved his contrarian take on all of this. It's a scary concept, <laughs> any way you look at it. And the autonomous car is a very inelegant and very complex and very fraught solution to the problem of texting while driving and information coming into the car while people should be driving. And um, to me, it's no coincidence that the rise of the smartphone, the rise of texting has been met with this solution. And not surprisingly also, the solution is at the hands of the data giants who are colonizing the car, you know, through Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, um, trying to get as much information about drivers as possible. So this is really their solution to allow drivers to keep on texting while they should be driving. So you're saying and, it doesn't address a problem that we necessarily need to have addressed, but it it solves a problem for them and it creates a bigger business opportunity for them. Well, yes and no. I think, you know, there are a lot of people who see cars as sort of a necessary evil and want to get from point A to point B, want to do so um, with the least stress possible. And they see autonomous cars as a way to not have to deal with the stop and go and the annoyance of having to drive in traffic. But I think the big data companies look at it as a way to take more of your time, to up your productivity, to keep you working. Um, and I think that's a bad thing. And Eddie Alterman also talks about the joy 
of driving. People give up control at their peril. They don't realize in every case how freeing and how amazing self-determination is. You know, the central metaphor of the car is freedom, or it has been, because everybody could get in a car, drive anywhere they wanted without having to tell anybody. But now that metaphor is changing. And I think that people are looking at the car as not something that enables freedom. I'm not talking about enthusiasts here. I'm talking about the vast majority of commuters. They're looking at the car as something that disrupts their communication because the phone is really kind of the connect and control device that the car used to be. It's the thing that connects you with people. And if you're in the car and they tell you that you can't text, well, then they're cutting off communication with your social circle. What about safety? What about the promise that a self-driving car or an autonomous car would improve driver safety? I think there's no question that it would. But people will deal with or accept flawed humans crashing into each other. I don't think people will accept supposedly fail-safe machines crashing into each other. So there may be hundreds of wrecks a day across the country that don't really make national news, but the first time a robot car runs into a school bus or, or just hits somebody, it's, that is going to be news around the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrifying to think that uh, the machine that was built to protect you kind of has a mind of its own or has made bad decisions. And, and there have been Google cars already that have been involved in fender benders. And, of course, even though it was probably the fault of the human driver in the other car, still, uh, the failure of these systems to anticipate human behavior in other drivers, which is something we're pretty good so at. So whose fault is, is, is that? Is that the human's fault? I mean, you know, Eddie, Eddie, I know you've thought a lot about this complicated dynamic we have when we're on the road where we're incredibly good at anticipating the behavior of other drivers and pedestrians through some kind of miraculous, you know, human brain system right. that that may be able to to gauge when somebody is going to roll through a stop sign or or behave erratically. That's right. And we completely underestimate the power of our own brains and how nuanced they are and how evolution has given us all of these uh, great tools and skills to identify stuff like, you know, the body language of somebody's head, a pedestrian's head, if they're going to be walking across the street or if a dog is going to jump out in front of you. Um, or even a car can has its own body language. And you can tell by the kind of angle of the front wheels if somebody is going to come into your lane or if their speed is erratic. You know, we, we have all these amazing ways to judge things and computers are really smart and they're they're achieving their own level of nuance but i don't think it'll ever be as good as the human brain you know i i think that um the the driven car and the autonomous car these are kind of these are incompatible and i say that because the autonomous car requires a closed network of cars in constant communication um, car-to-car communication is what will enable autonomous cars to get out of each other's way and to manage 
traffic and to manage the streetscape. So you're saying that that autonomous cars require other autonomous cars on the road to rather work. than ca- to work properly, rather than cars driven by people. That's exactly right, and that's what the Google thing showed us: that you have a Google car at a stoplight, and because it can't communicate with uh, the the human-driven cars, it's completely out of sync in that environment. So what I'm saying is if you have one autonomous car for the the system to work properly, every car has to be autonomous. And I would submit that that's never going to happen. Another thing that Eddie talks about at a point that I really love is that there's something special about that time in the car, just being by yourself and having time to think. You're operating a vehicle with your conscious mind, but it's also enabling the non-conscious part of your brain to be really active. And some of the greatest thoughts that I'm sure we've all had have been when the conscious part of the brain is occupied. Mm-hmm. And it frees the non-conscious to, to really explore and to really solve problems and to think about things. And if, if we take that away, if our time in the car while we're traveling at 80 miles an hour, if we take that away and trade it for more work, uh, more submission of data to Google, I think we're losing a, a kind of productivity and a kind of creativity that a conspiracy theorist might almost argue that that ability to drive long distances has enabled the American exceptionalism of the 20th century. That's a great claim. So you're saying the big data companies want to colonize this last remaining patch of time, but it's really valuable to have that that engaged downtime in our lives. That's right. And a commute for some people is an important part of their day where they organize their thoughts, they solve problems, they, they are able to uh, arrange what they're going to do at the office before they get there, and it makes them more efficient. But I think it's a little bit invisible to us, so we, we, don't, we don't prize it. But I think it's there, and I think it's real. And I think that that's one of the biggest things we'll lose. What are some of the areas where technology can help with driving, can make the system more efficient in traffic jams, other improvements? Well, yeah. I mean, if you use Waze, uh, which I do. You mean the the driving app that helps you uh, spot traffic jams and speed traps and stuff like that? That's right. I mean, it's a brilliant application of high-speed data and uh, a user network because it's telling you the quickest way in any city to get to your destination. And it's also alerting you to cops on the way. And that sort of stuff is fantastic. I think that the incredible efficiencies that could be created by car sharing and and alleviating a lot of the time that that cars spend sitting idle uh, would make for a much more efficient system. It's going to also take a kind of social change or a psychological change about ownership. I think that's already happening in um, the generation younger than us. They don't quite seem to have, and I'm generalizing here, they don't quite seem to have the same sort of attachment to stuff that uh, maybe baby boomers or Gen Xers do. Stuff doesn't define them the same way. So car sharing, I think, is perfectly timed for this generation. And there's one thing we, we've, we've ignored. I love this headline out of a story that uh, popped up a couple of days ago. Self-driving cars could lead to more sex in vehicles. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, um, you know, probably brief bouts of it. <laughs> but you're saying you want everybody to take a step back, and before we make this headlong rush to embrace all these features as an unqualified good, to appreciate some of the good things about the current system, right? Is that what I'm hearing from you? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and to not take for granted the simple joy of self-determination and going where you want without observation, without distraction, without people trying to colonize your time. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. So that's some of what Eddie Alterman of Car and Driver magazine told us about autonomous cars. Clearly, Jim, he is a skeptic. And I, I think you are, too, to some extent. Right. Well, you know, I'm both a technological optimist and a skeptic. I, I think that there are a lot of good things coming in terms of EVs and autonomous cars. But I also think we need to be very suspicious of all the people who are telling us we need to get in these cars overnight. And I'm not sure this is going to happen as fast as a lot of people think. I think that we're going to see a much more diverse range of transportation, lots of electric vehicles, lots of fleet vehicles on the sort of Uber or Zipcar model. But people will also have cars in their own driveways and they're going to be very reluctant to give up that to give up that family car that can take a bunch of kids to the soccer practice and go to the grocery store and you know something that's available in an emergency you don't have to use an app to hail it i think that's kind of deep in the american dna that that freedom and that self-reliance i i don't think that's going to disappear no matter how efficient these electric autonomous fleets are. I want to move on just a little bit and explain a couple of reasons why I think self-driving cars are further off in the future than many yeah. people have said. And one reason is the intellectual property battle over self-driving cars, yeah. which is oh, really heating up. I mean, there are a number of big lawsuits involving patent infringement. And, and Self-driving cars are so complicated. Um, they involve technology. They involve telecoms. They involve computers. They involve lasers. And whenever you have innovation in such a large number of fields, you're going to have a lot of lawsuits, and that could slow down self-driving cars as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a fully autonomous self-driving car is a package of so much cutting-edge technology. The LiDAR. This is the laser system. recognition system, right? Yeah, yeah. The, um, the AI needed to calculate all the different options, the very advanced mapping. It's very, very complicated. Thousands and thousands of, of patents involved. So I don't think that's going to slow it down forever, but it's one of many things that's going to make it a little bit harder. Yeah. What are some of the other things that'll make it harder? I mean, I, I feel that we've, we've got a bit beyond ourselves with this. Well, one of them is just cost. I mean, they're still really expensive. The autonomous features will be very expensive. And at the same time, what it costs to build a good, basic gasoline-powered car has never been lower. One of the problems with self-driving cars is, is mixing the autonomous cars with the regular cars and also our infrastructure, <laughs> which, which is often very confusing and complicated. 
and and not always standardized. That's why people talk about, you know, there are certain environments like an interstate that are relatively easy for a self-driving car to manage. But a parking lot at a farmer's market in a field, (laughs) you know, driving on grass. So I think what we're going to see is... There'll be niches. There'll be different types of specialized vehicles for different categories, but that not that many of them are going to be self-driving. It just doesn't make that much economic sense. But what we will see, though, is the electric vehicle, even though the batteries are expensive, the technology is pretty simple. So it'll be easy for lots of different companies to come into the automotive field. So after years of a handful of global car companies, you know, Ford, Volkswagen, Mercedes, GM, Toyota, dominating the world landscape, we're going to see a lot of little companies coming out and launching cars. They don't have to figure out how to make a complicated gasoline engine or transmission. Uh, They buy, you know, ready-made, off-the-shelf parts. So I think in 15 years, you might see a lot of crazy little specialized electric vehicles driving around for very, very specific purposes. Uh, Here's a crazy idea I just came across. Let's say you're United and you want to come out with your own line of self-driving cars to take your customers to the airport. They, They take you to the airport for free. But along the way, you've got to sit through all these videos about all the things that people want to sell you once you get to your destination. So some people are actually thinking that there will be free travel in exchange for watching certain kinds of advertising or or engaging certain kinds of transactions. But the cars we'll be driving won't be that different from today. The phrase I'm most interested in, Jim, is not autonomous cars, but semi-autonomous cars. New cars that take away some of the functions that we drivers were used to doing. For instance, things like lane assist, or dipping your headlights automatically, or cruise control, or slowing down in, on a highway when you're too close to the car in front of you. All of those things are safety features, and just make the driving experience a little bit easier and, and, and probably safer. But there are minuses as well as pluses to semi-autonomous cars. I have a new car, and I find that some of the features are distracting. And while the car has saved me on the highway from getting too close to the guy in front of me, it's also distracted me to the point where I nearly had an accident. Right now, we're in kind of a scary period. Car fatalities, car crashes are going up. Yeah, they're going up because of distracted driving, right? Probably because, yeah, probably because of distracted driving. After years of declining and great improvements in safety, this is really worrisome. I'm hopeful that the evolution technology will help turn that around. You know, you get a text message and it comes up on a screen. Yes, it's distracting, but what the car makers are trying to do is to keep you from pulling out your phone, you know. And they've got <laughs> yeah, to walk. Their their enemy is like Google and 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 uh, some of the other tech companies, right? Right. They've got to walk this line. They know if they don't provide this functionality in the vehicle, then people are going to be driving around looking at their phones all the time, which they do. But there's so, something there's something there's something Eddie said that I'm a little skeptical of, and it's this idea that millennials have a fundamentally different view to car ownership necessarily than other generations, and I'm not sure he's right. And and one reason why I feel that way is I think that's a bit of a Brooklyn way of looking at millennials or a Los Angeles way, <laughs> and that's not necessarily true of the rest of the country. A very interesting statistic came out in just a few days ago, which is that 
uh, home ownership rates among millennials are really starting to rise quite mm-hmm. quickly. And it was said for so long by a number of economists, oh, millennials, they want to move from one uh, job to another, from one city to another. They're more renters than buyers. I'm not sure that's true. And I'm not sure that it's true that millennials necessarily will want to own or be less interested in cars than previous generations. Yeah, like so much of the conventional wisdom, you know, it, it, it it's maybe it's true for a while. Certainly, um, millennials were buying cars later. I think they're uh, they tend to be a lot more comfortable with idea things like Zipcar and Uber and shared services. I think those things will coexist. Yeah. Again, once people have kids, they turn into their parents. And that's our show on why self-driving cars may not be as big a thing as many people believe. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Our music is by Lou Stravinsky, and we are a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at our website, DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.